0: Father, as we come before uh, your word, we recognize this is your revelation. This is inspired by you. It is God-breathed. It is without error. It is infallible in every respect. So we ask for your Holy Spirit, the great teacher, to anoint us tonight with ears to hear and hearts to understand. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll turn to John chapter 3, and we will read verses 1 through 12. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that You have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how should you believe if I tell you heavenly things. Well, we know in this part of God's Word that Jesus was carrying on his ministry in Jerusalem at this period of time. And Nicodemus, we're told, comes to him, and his party and his position is mentioned. He's of the party of the Pharisees, and he's a ruler of the Jews, meaning that he's part of that Sanhedrin, that Jewish ruling body over the nation. Now, though the Pharisees were right in many areas of doctrine, such as God's divine decree, man's responsibility and moral accountability before God, the immortality of the soul, the the resurrection of the body, The existence of spirits, uh, rewards and punishments in the future life. All of these things the Pharisees affirmed. There used to be arguments between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees used to say there is no resurrection of the dead. And the Pharisees, they would go back and forth arguing over that point. At least the Pharisees got that right. However, there was a grievous error among the Pharisees. What they had done is this. They had externalized religion. And the goal of existence essentially was outward conformity to the law of Moses. That's where they were. It was for this externalism that uh, in thinking that these externals is all that you need to be right with God, that is why Jesus condemned them throughout his ministry. In fact, it's that mentality of the the Pharisees, this externalism is why Jesus said on several occasions, beware of the leaven of the Pharisee. That is meaning a pernicious doctrine. If it's left unchecked, it would corrupt other people. And that's what Jesus said in, in Matthew 23 and probably the most scathing indictment of people ever is what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 where basically he says, you are whitewashed tombs. You, you tithe and you, um, you give and, but you make men more fit for hell than yourselves. And you're filling up God's wrath to the brim. So Jesus was very critical of the Pharisees. If you take a look at just uh, how this externalism that Jesus condemns, turn with me to, to Luke 18 at verses 10 through 14. this is a parable that Jesus gave. And he says, starting at verse nine, and he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. See that? And viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I I thank thee that I'm not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And so we see that Jesus made it very clear that he didn't think very highly of all this externalism and this condescending attitude that the Pharisees, uh, these had against other people. And notice they were boasting in what they were doing externally. As opposed to the other guy who couldn't even look up into the heaven and was moaning at the fact, he recognized that he was a sinner. So who's justified? The the one who pays tithes, who uh, is a good outward conformer to the religion, doesn't do any of these outward sins that they mention. That's not who Jesus commends. He commends the guy who is so humble that he's begging God to have mercy. And such is is what had become of this externalized religion in Israel. They give you an example of just how ridiculous this externalism was. Certain rabbinical teachings said this, and you ladies will like this. It says, they forbid women to look in the mirror lest they would be tempted to pull out a gray hair. And pulling out the gray hair was considered working. <laughs> That's what, That was some rabbinical teaching, all right? Uh <clears throat> Others said you could swallow vinegar on the Sabbath, but you couldn't gargle the vinegar because gargling was an act of work. (laughs) You see how crazy it goes when you you emphasize all these outward things. And of course, God forbid that you should heal somebody that was blind or lame from birth like Jesus did on the Sabbath. You Sabbath breaker, what are you doing? How dare you heal someone on the Sabbath? Really? That's who Jesus was dealing with. That was the the religious party of which Nicodemus was part of. Nicodemus belonged to that party of a works salvation paradigm. And uh, he held, as we said, a prominent position. He was a ruler of, of the Jews, that means he was part of the Sanhedrin, that ruling body in Israel, and we're told in the text he was a teacher of the law. He wasn't any ordinary individual; a teacher of the law. Now we're told in our text back in John thirteen, uh, John three, we're told that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now some have conjectured some commentators, that the reason Nicodemus came because he didn't want others to see know that he was visiting Jesus. However, there's another view which I think uh, most commentators hold to, which I think is the better one is the reason he came by night was he understood how busy Jesus was during the day in his ministry. And at night was an opportunity to come and just talk because he saw how busy Jesus was. So, but regardless, it says he came to Jesus by night. And now the first noteworthy thing to note to see here about Nicodemus is what he said to Jesus. He says, "We know, we know you have come from God because no one can perform the signs you do unless God is with him." Now, that's noteworthy that he recognizes that. On one level, Nicodemus understood something very important. Now, one of the purposes of signs in the Bible is that it self-authenticates the messenger. Now, to to show you how that that is true, I I want to, to point out to you, you can turn with me to Hebrews 1, verses uh, three through four and we'll see that the what the role of signs were in the bible at least those who preached actually it's it's hebrews 2 beginning at verse one for this reason we pay much more closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it it was confirmed to us by those who heard God, God bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders." and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now what we see here is that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, at least Nicodemus, you understand a relationship of the miraculous signs that I'm doing that I am a prophet from God. And (laughs) what's interesting here is that he understands something that a lot of the, uh, the Jewish people didn't understand. For example, um, now, let me just say this. In our text, if you look closely, verse three, Jesus answered him and said, well, in, in one que- uh, case, uh, what Jesus was doing he was answering a question that Nicodemus didn't necessarily verbalize, but he knew his heart, and he's going to go right towards it. Now, remember what we're told. If you look at John two uh, verses twenty four and twenty five, what was the ability of Jesus? Well, verse twenty, uh, John two twenty four says, "But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he for he knew all men." And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus knew the condition of men's hearts. Jesus knew what people were thinking elsewhere in Jesus' ministry. He anticipates it says he's answering the Pharisees and answering a question, and they didn't even asked one yet. He knew what they were thinking and would address it. Now, Jesus, in a sense, is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, seeing is not always believing. Do we recall what, uh, what we're told in the Word of God, especially in 1 Corinthians 10 and in Hebrews 4, that not everyone who came out of Egypt who who saw miraculous signs, who saw the Red Sea part, who saw water coming out of a rock, whose uh, shoes did not wear out for 40 years, who were fed manna from heaven, all of these miracles. And yet the scripture in Hebrews 4 says, they had hardened hearts, unbelieving hearts. So seeing is not always believing. Now, Jesus wanted Nicodemus to learn something. He's got to go far beyond just seeing certain connection of signs with being a prophet of God. He wants to advance Nicodemus's thinking. And so, he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Otherwise, if you're not born again, you are not going to see the kingdom of God. And notice he said, <clears throat> see the kingdom of God. On one level, Nicodemus saw a certain right connection of signs with a person being from God but he wants to help Nicodemus sees to see he goes well beyond that Nicodemus. Jesus says it's much deeper true religion is internal. it's not external. Now, being physically born, as we would understand, is the beginning of life, right? Well, technically, it's being conceived uh, in your mother's womb. But at birth, uh, they come, a person comes into this world, and <clears throat> as that is the beginning of life, likewise, one must be born again to begin anew. And Jesus is referring to a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. And what we see here, we must have a, in other words, Jesus is saying, you, you've got to have a new nature. Like I talked about this morning, you've got to be a new creation. Uh, and, and this new creation has new priorities. It has new goals, and Nicodemus, one's got to be born again from above, not of the earth, from above. Now, what do we know about physical birth? Well, <clears throat> the scripture says that we're born into sin. We're told in Psalm 51, it says, in sin, my mother conceived me, that at the moment of conception, we have inherited that sin nature from our parents, We see that our our very nature is corrupted. Job says, from birth, we go astray. So Jesus is saying, in this new birth, Nicodemus, it's got to come from heaven is where it's got to come from. And verse four here, Jesus says to Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, he's thinking on this earthly level, he's thinking of a physical rebirth and he's confused at what Jesus is saying. Now remember, why would he be confused? Well, what was his religious party? The Pharisees who believed everything is external. They they weren't emphasizing internal spiritual reality as such. It was an external conformity to the law of Moses. And so Jesus answers him and says, Nicodemus, in this being born again, you've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. Now, what does Jesus mean here when he says you've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the spirit? Well, when Jesus says you must be born again, this does it. In saying this, this doesn't imply that there is something that you and I can do to bring about uh, that, that new birth. What he's implying is it's talking about the necessity of the new birth. That's what he's talking about. Not that we are able to do that, but it's got to happen. Nicodemus, this has got to happen if you want to see the kingdom of God. Now, the spirit, we see in the scripture, there's a lot of parallels with the work of the spirit and with water. We, see, we know that water cleanses. It was used as purification rites. People would bathe. They would clean themselves. They would remove outward filth. Hence, what does the spirit do? It cleanses the soul just like the water would. Now, to show you that, how that, there's a comparison of the Spirit with water, let me uh, just mention several texts to you. First of all, turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Look at verse 3. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So we see that comparison of the blessings of God being poured out as water. And he compares that water, that he compares the work of the spirit of God to that work of water as it would refresh the land. Turn over to <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. Now, in this passage in Ezekiel thirty-six, this is an Old Testament reference to the work or the coming of the, of the New Covenant, and I want to draw our attention to verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. Now, remember, we're we're learning what is that association with water and the Spirit. Verse 25, God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So God, in the promise of the new covenant, says, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthy idolatry that you've been guilty of. I'm gonna cleanse you totally. How am I gonna do that? By the spirit, by giving you a new heart, By and it's the spirit who's gonna give you that new heart, and when I give you that spirit, and when I give you that new heart, what's gonna be the effect? You're gonna obey the law of God, is what you're gonna do. Turn with me to moving ahead in and John. Turn, turn to John 7. And look at verses 38 and 39. We see Jesus saying, He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified so here we see this association of the cleansing effect of water with the, the Holy Spirit one other text uh, showing the relationship of water with the spirit This is if you only had one text to demonstrate this this would be the one to go to Turn with me to Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three, verses four through six. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which have been done in righteousness, But according to his mercy, now notice, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right there we see, by the washing of, of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So who's who's doing the washing? Holy Spirit. Who's doing the regeneration? The Holy Spirit. Is it of works oriented? No. It's of it's of mercy. God's having mercy upon us. Now it's possible when Jesus says, Nicodemus, you gotta be born of water in the spirit. There is a possibility he could be referring to Uh, the the water baptism that was going on uh, with John the Baptist and what John the Baptist said. And I think it's noteworthy that we take a look at Matthew 3.11 in this sense. Matthew 3.11. Now, Now, John the Baptist is saying... As for me, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we can say in a true sense, You and I, we we cannot be saved without Jesus' baptism. And Jesus' baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism is a regeneration of the heart. Jesus' baptism is a cleansing us of our sins by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 6, turning back to John 3, John 3, verse 6, we're told that Jesus is contrasting the physical from the spiritual. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, you need to understand something fundamental. You got flesh, and then you got spirit. And you got to be born, you got to be born again, Nicodemus, In other words, there's got to be this spiritual rebirth within you, Nicodemus. There must be this internal recreation in you, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God. Now, verse 8 of John 3 is where he beautifully brings out the sovereign nature of this rebirth that is absolutely necessary if we're going to see God's kingdom. He says here that, uh, verse eight, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this brings out this sovereign Nature of God's regenerating work in us through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this work of the Holy Spirit acts like the wind, Jesus says. Now I want to remind you, uh, let's just point back to what we saw in John 1, 12 and 13. Turn back to John 1, look at verses 12 and 13. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here he's talking about this rebirth. Now, when I was preaching through that, I hope you recall that I said, You got a a foundation. You got three things at work here. You've got a being born again, a rebirth that's not of human origin. You've got a believing, and then you've got an adoption. Now, which comes first? It's very important that we understand what comes first. Memory says, as many as received him, that is, believed in him. If we believe in Jesus, what happens? We have the right to become children of God. But notice it says, who were, who were, were past, born, not of blood, but of God. So the first foundational level is being recreated in God, being born again. And if you're born again, guess what? you will want to believe in Jesus. Why? Because you got a new heart. Your ears have been opened. Your eyes have been opened to receive. And once, and once you believe in Jesus, what, what does God say? Then you can be adopted to my family. Then you're part of my family. So it's regeneration, faith, and adoption. It's important to keep that order. So we see here in verse 7, back to John 3, Jesus says, don't marvel, Nicodemus. Don't marvel that you must be born again. There must be this spiritual rebirth. There must be this internal recreation if you're going to be with, with God. It has to happen. Now, the sovereign character of this regenerating work is the spirit is compared to the wind, and what a marvelous illustration that Jesus used. And he says, "It's mysterious." He says, "You, you don't, um, you don't know where the the wind comes from, but you hear it." The last several days, it's been very windy, has it not? At least in Auburn, it's been probably up here very windy. Well, where did it come from? And don't get too technical. Well, the weatherman said it came from the west. Okay, Jesus is talking about, they may say certain wind patterns, but you don't you don't see the wind, do you? It's invisible. But you do hear the sound of it, against things, and you do see the effect. You see the trees blowing. You feel the effect against your face. So he says, now that is how the spirit works, Nicodemus. And he says, another thing is, who can direct the wind? Now in our modern, sophisticated weather progn- uh, prognosticating, we may say there are certain things gonna arise and there may be a hurricane directing, but can we direct that? Can, can, have we been able to stop a hurricane? I don't think so. Have we been able to stop a tornado? I don't think so. And there's a certain thing. We cannot direct the wind. The wind acts with complete independence. It's going to do what it wishes to do. It can't be seen, but again, you can you can see the impact. So, just like that wind is mysterious, Nicodemus, so is the spirit and how the spirit works. Now, what a incredible lesson for this man, this this uh, Pharisee, this this ruler of the Jews, this teacher of the law, who is raised and outworked salvation. Religion, for to hear these kinds of things. And it was as if it was just, as we're going to see right now, it was kind of just going over Nicodemus's head. He, he wasn't used to thinking this way. He, that's why he couldn't understand. And because he grew up among a group that says, if you want to be saved, you got to obey the, the law of Moses if you want to be saved. Now, look at verse 9 of John 3. Nicodemus is still not getting the point. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? What you're talking about, Jesus? Wind, spirit, cleansing, being born again by water and the spirit. How can these things be? And notice Jesus' response in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I mean, I I guess that was a a mild rebuke to Nicodemus. You are the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this, what I'm telling you? Because what is Jesus implying? You should have understood this, Nicodemus. Now, why should he have understood this? Well, several reasons why. Um, Do you think uh, think Nicodemus should have understood Ezekiel 36 that we looked at a minute ago? He knew the scriptures. Shouldn't he have known what, what Ezekiel said? Well, surely he should have. After all, he's a teacher of Israel. He should have known what Ezekiel 36 said. Also, Nicodemus should have understood some other things. Turn with me. Here's some other things that he should have understood. Turn to Deuteronomy 10, 16. Moses is teaching here and he says, circumcise then your heart and stiffen your neck no more. Not uh, referring to a circumcision in the flesh flesh as a sign of the covenant. You need to circumcise your heart. There needs to be a cleansing of your heart. This is Old Testament now. Turn over to uh, Jeremiah chapter four, verse four. Nicodemus, you should have known these things. Nicodemus, you should know what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 4, verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord to remove the foreskin of your heart, men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Why didn't you understand that, Nicodemus? You're a teacher of of the law. Look over at Jeremiah 9, verse 26. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clipped their hair on the temples for all the nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. You should have known this, uh, Nicodemus. You're a teacher of the law. You should know what the prophet said. How come you? How come this is just going right over you? And then he should have known what First Samuel 16:7 says, where God says there uh, when. Uh, the king was being chosen when uh, all the sons of Jesse were being paraded as a possible king, and they didn't even bother <laughs> to bring the shepherd boy, David. Uh, they didn't even consider him. It was kind of insulting to David, was it not? And when they brought all the, these sons and said, Here they are, he says, no, God says, Nope, 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 nope. It's this one. And, and 1 Samuel 16 says, God, does not God look at the heart, not at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart of men. Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law. You should know these things. Why don't you know them? So back to John 3, we see here that in verse 11, Jesus is speaking of a knowledge a revelation that comes from the the Father. He's speaking of a spiritual truth that is revealed truth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that which we know, he's talking about himself here, and we bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive this witness. Now, Jesus, again, he knows the hearts of men. He knows the thoughts of men. And he knew right then Nicodemus still didn't get it. He knew right then that Nicodemus was not accepting that, what Jesus was saying. Now, we know from the scriptures, we mentioned this, if we know anything, it's always revealed truth. If we know Jesus is who he really is, it is a revealed truth. Remember, again, in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, who do men say that I am, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You didn't figure that out. You weren't smarter than anybody else. My Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. If you know that I'm the Christ, it's because God has revealed that to you. So Jesus is saying, I, am, I reveal truth because I've come from the Father. You remember, when we get to John 14, we're gonna have that incident where Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have you been so long with me that you don't understand? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And the words that I have spoken to you We'll develop that more when we get to John 14. But he says, the words that I've spoken to you, I've revealed to those to you from my father because I have come from my father and I have revealed this to you." you. You don't receive it, Nicodemus. Now again, remember, Jesus understands the thoughts of men. He could see the condition of men's hearts. And he knew that Nicodemus still did not understand. Now, verse 12 says that Jesus has been speaking of earthly things. How, and now he says, he's gonna think of, in, instead of earthly things, things that are heavenly. I told you earthly things, and yet you do, you do not believe if you don't believe these earthly things that are saying, how you, he says, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. There needs to be a reworking of your whole constitution, Nicodemus. If you're gonna be see the kingdom of God, if you're gonna understand these things, you, the, the spirit of God has to reveal this to you. But Nicodemus, you have rejected these things. Now, so this this, this Pharisee who comes from a, 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 a teaching that's all wrapped up in externals, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, he's a ruler of the Jews, and foremost, he's a teacher of the law, and yet Jesus is rebuking him. You should have seen these things, Nicodemus, but you haven't. Now, you and I can understand why he's not seeing it, because you got to be born again to see it, right? Now, what's the end result of Nicodemus? I am going to present you, I believe, scriptural evidence, Nicodemus became a true believer. I believe there's evidence to that case, and here's the case. First of all, he was impressed, remember, he says... Teacher, no one can do the things you do, these signs, unless you are from God. Not everybody had that perspective, but he did. He knew there was something special about Jesus. He knew that these signs indicated something about the messenger, Jesus. Now let's consider this. If Nicodemus understood this, that he, he had, at least here, he had a right correlation of the sign with being a true prophet. Now, he's a teacher of the Jews, right? You got fishermen, Andrew and Peter. Remember when Jesus calls them? They come up and say, hey, we found the Messiah. Really? That means... They knew something about the Old Testament that they would even think that Jesus could be that prophet prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15, that there would arise a prophet after me, Moses says, and you better listen to that prophet. Now, these fishermen could understand that and were looking for that Here you could have probably Nicodemus, would he not have been aware of some of these prophecies about the coming Messiah? Do You remember when John the Baptist was arrested and he was in prison and he sends word through his disciples to ask Jesus the question, are you the one promised or do we expect another? Remember I told you it wasn't that John wasn't aware because we had, we had God the Father coming down and speaking to John. This is my beloved son. So it was more for the benefit of his disciples that need to make the transition from John to Jesus. And you remember what he told, uh, Jesus told uh, the disciples of John. He says, go tell John, Do not the blind see? Do not the deaf hear? Are not the dead raised? Do they not have the gospel? And Jesus is quoting from Isaiah all over the place. Nicodemus would have known these things. If you've got uh, these fishermen knowing some of this, then the teacher of law would know this. So Nicodemus on one level understood there was something really special about Jesus. He just couldn't understand the teaching that Jesus was referring to. Now, I want you to turn to John 7, verses 50 through 51. Now, of course there was a growing animosity of the Sanhedrin against Jesus. But guess who stands up and tries to bring some sanity to the Sanhedrin? Verse 50, Nicodemus said to them, he who came to him before being one of them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered and said to him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arise, arises out of Galilee. What Nicodemus as part of the Sanhedrin is saying, men, don't be so rash in your judgment about this man, Jesus. And remember um, when Jesus called Nathanael, and uh, you got Philip saying to Nathaniel, "We have found the Messiah." And uh, the son Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and Na- uh, Nathaniel's response is, "Anything good come out of Nazareth?" Now, when we were there preaching on that, I emphasized the fact. That was not a swipe against those in Galilee because Jesus understood Nathaniel was no ordinary man. And he, when Jesus impressed him that he was sitting under a tree and was revealing to him what he was thinking, that's why Nathaniel says, you're you're the son of God because who would know this? How would you know where I am and how would you know what I'm thinking? So, Nathanael, in seeking the scriptures, doesn't remember any prophecy of something good or a prophet coming out of Nazareth. But where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And where did Micah, the prophet, said the Messiah would come from? Oh, Bethlehem, least among you. So, do you think Jesus, I mean, Nicodemus, knowing the signs that Jesus was doing had to be a real prophet of God and he's telling his fellow members of the Sanhedrin, don't rush to judgment against this man, Jesus. But then it's very telling, I think, turn to John chapter 19 Now Jesus is arrested and he's crucified and he is buried. Look at John 1939. Well, let, let me, let's me let back up to verse 38. You know about Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 38, and after these things, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate granted permission. He came therefore and took his body away. Well, guess who's with Joseph? Nicodemus. Look at verse 39. And Nicodemus came also who had first come to him by night bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds weight. Now here you have a man who understands that Jesus has to be a prophet of God He's cautioning the Sanhedrin, don't rush to judgment about Jesus. And here at his death, he teams up with Joseph of Arimathea who granted his tomb to be used where Jesus could be buried. And Nicodemus brings a 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now I'm gonna ask y'all something, just off the cuff. What do you think is the monetary value of 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes in modern money. You may want to just venture a guess right off. Just somebody take a guess. What do you think that'd be worth? Thousands of dollars? You want it to be a little bit more specific? 5,000? Five thousand. Five thousand? Y'all think that's, that's safe what Elizabeth's saying? You know what they have, uh, those who've looked into the value today of 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes, you ready for this? 150000 to $200,000. <laughs> now what man <laughs> would dispense that value to someone he didn't believe in? Just like Joseph of uh, Arimathea A disciple of Jesus by night comes and takes care of the body and Nicodemus says, look, I will provide uh, the spices. Now, the purpose, you might think, why 100 pounds of this? You know why they did that? Anybody want to venture a guess why they they brought all these uh, spices for a body? I'll give you a, a hint. It's what Mary and Martha complained about Uh, their brother Lazarus, when Jesus says, I'm gonna raise him back from the dead after four days. The smell. The reason they bought these spices was to cover up the stench. So he brings enough that he thinks it's gonna do the job. $100,000 worth of our value. That means Nicodemus was a wealthy man just like Joseph of Arimathea. So I, I think... This is evidence that eventually the truth got through to Nicodemus and at some point to, to, to merit why he would come with Joseph to do that honor to the body of Jesus. Well, we see, if we're going to enter the kingdom of God, something miraculous has to happen. You got to be born again. Now, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. It's not of human origin. But it's got to happen. I remember the testimony of my great-great-grandfather when I wrote that book, Retracing the Beautiful Steps. My great-great-grandfather mentioned in the, uh, the mid-1830s that he was struck with the fact he knew that something had to happen in his life, but it hadn't happened yet. And he was praying somehow that it would happen. (laughs) And then it happened and God saved him. We don't know how the spirit works. It's like the wind, but but it has to work. And we have to be born again. And if we're born again, then we're cleansed. And everything changes. We're a new creation in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that salvation is not of external things that we do, but something that is by grace, through faith alone. We thank you for the testimony of scriptures. Drive this great truth home that religion must be internal, not simply external deeds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.